doesn't take uh, too many conversations with others or to watch the news for too long to understand that there seems to be this general sense that the future isn't all sunshine and roses and that we're not heading towards sort of a future that people think they're going to enjoy or want for their children. And I don't know whether this is the reality or just this human sense of, you know, being a little bit sceptical of what's to come. Well, often when creators tell stories of the future based on the trajectory of technology, family, faith, climate and health, they also don't paint a very favourable picture. Now, I am personally a very big sci-fi fan, but of a really specific genre. I like um, a genre that explores sort of dystopian futures. They've always caught my attention. Probably the one that I first ever remember was this. It was Wally, and it's a children's movie, and it came out when I was quite young. And essentially, it paints a dystopian future where things had gotten so bad on Earth that we just decided, best port of call, get a spaceship and, and leave this place. And so all the humans move onto this spaceship, and we leave these little... Uh, sort of um, robots just to clean up our mess, one little square of rubbish at a time. Now, this movie was especially highlighting the ecological toll that we're having on creation, and it painted a rather sad picture of humanity as we became really, tech- like, technology-wise, really intelligent. We were on this, essentially, uh, cruise ship through space, um, but we'd become quite physically lazy. Now, as I grew up, I... Uh, got into novels as well and I remember the first one that really caught my attention in this genre was The Handmaid's Tale and it's quite different to Wally, probably not for children, I don't recommend, Uh, you might have seen the TV series as well, it paints a picture of a society that is facing all this cultural change, especially concerning a decrease in fertility and birth rates which a select group of people believe is God's punishment on the world. So in an effort to make it better, this group of people really overcorrect. And so they create this nation called Gilead and they get deeply legalistic about the word of God, about the Bible and about faith. And then certain people abuse that power and what's left is sort of a hierarchical system all imposed under the guise of biblical law. There's not much uh, going on in the way, I think, of actual relationships with Christ. Now, of course, these are fictions. These are not what I am preaching on today. This is not the word. These are just uh, some ways that humans make sense of the future. The genre of movies and books is highly popular and it captures the attention of so many, I think, because it allows us to consider in creative ways the possibility of the end of the world. And I think in doing so... It challenges us to see beyond our here and our now and to play a game of prediction even if they don't have much accuracy or scientific backing. So today's reading, and we'll see in a second why that links to this dystopian future, today's reading is from the book of Judges. And so in the story of the big timeline of the Bible, uh, for Israel, God's people, after many years of wandering through the desert they have finally landed in this promised land, the place promised to Abraham in Genesis. Well, they've spent generations and generations wandering in the desert and relying on God daily for their provision. 
They received his covenant. They were led by Moses towards the promised land. And they were continually, through all of their journeys, led back to this reliance and faithfulness towards Yahweh. They fought battles. They'd seen God's miraculous movement in their lives. So as they enter now into the promised land and Moses has passed, Joshua was God's chosen leader to bring them into this land, the land flowing with milk and honey, the land God had set aside for them in God's faithfulness. But now in Judges chapter 2, we read of the generational change in the people of Israel and how that impacts the nation's faith. In Judges 2 verses 10, we read, Another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Now in this future, in Israel's future, the faithful descendants... No, sorry, the descendants of those faithful had forgotten Yahweh. And it should not have come as a surprise to them because they were warned about this. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1 through 12, they're explicitly shown a picture of the future and the way to do things. I kind of like to think of it as their own little dystopian picture of what might come. And they're warned, and yet they chose to remain on the same trajectory. And I think often the same can be said for us. So I thought, let's read what they were told in Deuteronomy. Well, these are the commandments, decrees and laws the Lord your God directs me to teach you to observe in the land that you were crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, And their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you. So that you may enjoy a long life. Hear Israel and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and you may increase greatly in the land flowing with milk and honey. Just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors promised you. And here's the decrees that he gives. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them to your foreheads. Write them on door frames of your house and on your gates. That when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to give you, a land with large flourishing cities that you did not build, houses with all kinds of good things that you did not provide, wells you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant, Then, when you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, and into that promised land. This is a warning to them 
it's painting a picture for them. It's saying if they don't intentionally pass down these stories of faith, they will be lost. They're encouraged to impress these stories of faith on their children, not just one day a week but regularly to talk about them, to create visual reminders in day-to-day life or else the next generation will forget. Instead of hearing this, though, and altering the course, they remained on the same trajectory. And so we see the fruition of this in our reading today in Judges 2. A new generation is in this wonderful land of prosperity and ease. They are the recipients of the promises of the faithful and the commitment of the generations before them. And yet they don't understand the cost. They, don't have, they, they haven't held on to the stories of God's rescue, provision, faithfulness. And so they become faithless people. So I want you to consider today, if you personally were to remain on the same trajectory that you are on, what does the future look like for you? What about the faith of future generations, either connected to you and your family or maybe connected to this church and this community? Well, as we jump into this new series called Faith Runs Deep, we're going to be unearthing the stories of faith from the Australian context. This series is going to seek to tell these stories so that generations to come And those that follow, so us and to to come, don't forget the God of their fathers and mothers. So they don't forget how faith has influenced our country. And so they don't forget the importance that faith has on our future. So if you're not part of a small group, I encourage you to go further than just the Sundays and uh, read the book, watch the videos. But we're going to watch a clip from episode one now. For me, I think for faith to run deep in Australia, it starts in families. In our house, when we first moved to our house, it was really small. There was hardly any space. You know, there's five of us in this this small house. And I used to do a quiet time every morning in the sunroom. Uh, it would have to have been, on, a, on the Richter scale of usefulness of a quiet time, it would have been about two out of ten. <laughs> the kids are running in and out. You know, there's noise. It's all. But I wanted, to, I wanted my kids to see me reading the Bible myself. Not just when I'm at church, but... Um, we we say grace every meal. We prayed with the kids whenever we could. We 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 just it was we hope that it just became ingrained in the life in our family life. For us, for Carl and I, it was just so important that our kids had friends in the church of other Christian families. They had Sunday school leaders. They had youth group leaders that would mentor them. Towards the end of my time of running a, a local church, my daughter, who was then, you know, probably in her early to mid-twenties, um, was doing a talk and I was there. And she said, you know, we, we always got a choice about going to church every Sunday. We, my parents gave us a choice. The choice was you can go in the morning or you can go in the evening. <laughs> 
You know, I had to wait till I was 17 till I actually understood the gospel. So that's, you know, 17 years of just being in Sunday school and youth group and never really making it personal. My hope for my kids and my grandchildren is that they'll have personal faith. So that, that's my hope for the generations to come, that, that there would be a sense of a, a warm legacy of faith and belief and trust. to understand New South Wales history and Australia therefore history properly needs to realise the influence not just of the humanitarians inspired by the Enlightenment but the influence of evangelical Christians. Those who organised transportation in the first place sincerely believed that if we're going to improve the lives of convicts and if Australia is going to be a kind of a successful experiment in rehabilitation, you need Christianity, you need religion. So in that respect, it was sort of built into the constitution of exactly what we were doing in the Australian experiment to begin with. We benefited from the people that came as soldiers, convicts, uh, government officials and free settlers. We benefited because with those groups of people came evangelical Christians committed to the mission of Christ, committed to building a nation uh, with those evangelical commitments reflected in the institutions of our land. Around the time of Federation, around about 94 or 96% of Australians identify as, uh, as Christian. Church attendance is very, very high. And, and, and things are basically like that right up to the 1960s. You just can't understand uh, the Australian psyche uh, up until actually quite recently without understanding that people genuinely believed that, that Christianity is true, that it is good not just for them as individuals, it's good for their families, it's good for society as a whole. There was this notion that Australia was settled like as a secular nation, the, the, uh, the cast-offs of England, and therefore were never Christian. What does the census back in, say, 100 years ago tell you about what people thought about Christianity? Well, it was not only the dominant religion, it was almost wholesale the identification that people had. And so it was well above 95%. In the first census, around 96%. The rest just had no belief. Um, but we were, a, uh, we were a Christian nation, almost wholly, and it was part of the cultural identity as well. Yeah. As I've said, with the current data, the cultural identity has been evaporating. Uh, it doesn't mean to be Australian, it's to be Christian anymore, but certainly that was the, the founding reality, and, uh, and a century ago, that was the dominance. Well, the landscape, oh, God, I'm back. <laughs> the landscape of faith in Australia is changing. We know that if we look at the latest census data um, in Australia, people who identify as Christian has dropped below 50%. That being said, average church attendance has remained very, very steady at about 13% for years and years and years now. Uh, but as Australia changes and evolves, we know that the radical transformational impact of Christ and the Christian faith 
on individuals and on communities is wonderful. Therefore, communities as our overall identity and as a country, it's really important that we keep telling these stories. And so the way that we continue to share those stories is deeply important to the foundations of our country and faith, but also the future generations. So over the next six weeks, we're going to be storytelling because we know that storytelling is deeply, deeply impactful. Actually, our whole Bible is a collection of stories about how God interacted with human beings and interacted in humanity's lives. So we want to pass down these important stories. We're going to hear from a wide variety of people through both the episodes, but also through the five guest preachers that will join us in the coming weeks. We're going to hear from First Nations people. We're going to hear from those who have migrated here to Australia, both Anglo-Australians and those of linguistically and culturally diverse backgrounds who share the Christian story of our country to encourage faith to continue to run deep in Australia. And so over these six weeks, I want to invite each of you to think, how can you pass faith on to the next generation? And here are just some practical ideas that I'd like to leave you with this morning. Number one is pray for them. Now, this feels pretty self-explanatory. In fact, if you need any pointers, last week's sermon was all about communal prayer, so you can go back and have a listen to that. Secondly, is to tell your testimony and the power of God's work in your life and to do it in a way that is personal and that does not gloss over the hard parts. Don't minimise the miracles either. Because if the next generation can't see power of God's work, why would they follow? Now, when I say the next generation, I think we can think that we've just got to be passing this along to the people who are younger than us. But we also know that our peers, maybe our parents, maybe our grandparents also need to come to know these stories. So make sure that you're sharing it as well, not just with those below you, but those above you in age and generation as well. And we know at BNBC, we really love to focus on being an intergenerational community. And finally, involve the next generation of Christians. Allow them the chance to test drive their faith. Now, I can still recall being 18 and handed the keys to run my first ever youth event. I think I was honestly at the time really shocked that they'd given me this responsibility. I was not a great church attender. I had a very deep relationship with Christ, but I kind of had one foot in the church and one foot out on the whole church thing. But the associate pastor at the time, and then my mentor as well, who ran the youth ministry, decided that I was up for it. So first, they guided me. First, I watched how they run an event. And I helped and I observed. Then, terrifyingly, next, they let me do one by myself while they watched and helped. The same can be said for the first time I ran a small group, the first time I preached, the first time I led a service, and then, shockingly, the first time they decided to hand me the keys and let me pastor 
a church, which to me, I was shocked at the time, but it went well because they handed over um, the keys and they let me work my faith out, as Paul puts it in Philippians, i.e. making it sort of an active thing. Because when it's active, faith becomes really transformational. I was given an opportunity to work out my faith and it became strong and it became robust and it changed my life. Yes, I made many mistakes along the way and people were there to be graceful, but it was good and God was good. So as we travel these next six weeks and beyond, I want us to make sure that we are actively passing faith on to the next generation, whether it's here in our church community or in our families or in our communities beyond. Make sure that we are praying for them. Make sure that we are actively sharing our testimony and make sure that we're giving opportunities for people to test drive their faith and to serve, or as Paul puts it, to work out their faith. All of this is so that faith can continue to run deep in the generations to come. So let's pray together. Well, God, we yearn for faith to continue to run deep in our little pocket of your creation. We pray for a dynamic and transformational personal relationship with Jesus to just spring up in Australia. Would these relationships with Christ continue to spring up from the deep roots and the deep stories here in our nation? Help us to share stories, to hear stories and to be impacted. Help us to embrace the areas of change that you are inviting, to loosen our grips on the roles in the world and church as well so that the new generation can come and serve alongside us as they test drive their faith. Let faith continue to run deep here, Lord. Amen.